Hi again, everybody. Stuart Gandalf with another Shizmed podcast. We do this every year, as you probably know, if you're a loyal listener slash reader. Today, I have one of my favorites from the past that I've met before on this very podcast, Dennis Jolly. He is going to be talking at Shizmed. Um, by the time you hear this, probably just talked about the at Shizmed, embracing the patient voice to attract the engaged healthcare consumer. Dennis is Chief Strategy and Communications Officer and Vice President at Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare. He'll be talking about this topic. And so as we prepared for this podcast, I was just speaking with Dennis offline, and I think the keyword there is the healthcare consumer. If you've been reading our blog for a while, you'll know we talk about healthcare consumerism and the retailization about healthcare a lot, and this is certainly a timely topic. So first of all, welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Stuart. Good to talk to you again. So today is going to be an informal chat. We're going to talk about the consumer and patient needs, I think would be a great place to start, Dennis. And we were just talking offline, so I thought it'd be fun to talk about your thoughts on that. As you and I were just talking about, I think um, healthcare has come to the concept of consumerism a little bit late. There's a lot of reasons for that. The mystery that around surrounds medicine and healthcare, the expertise that's in healthcare and the the role that physicians still even today own on a somewhat elevated plane, so to speak, in many people's uh, minds. But the simple fact is that I think consumerism is something that we have to confront. And I think that those organizations that are new to healthcare are coming into it with a baseline understanding of what their potential customers are going to want and need from them. And yet traditional healthcare, particularly hospitals, are probably behind the curve on that a little bit. We were talking actually about a variety of the newer businesses that are out there in healthcare that have none of that old-fashioned baggage that prohibits them from challenging the current prevailing view. It's funny. One of the jokes we used to have is, do fish know there's water? <laughs> because <laughs> it, it, it's just part of their environment. It's what, it's, they don't think about those sort of things. And so you'd mentioned about assumptions and challenging them. Tell me a bit more about that and, and how you'll communicate that in your, during your talk. First off, I, I think one of the biggest one of the big challenges to put out there is really the conversation around what is consumerism. Um, when you say consumerism or consumers in hospitals, there's often a little bit of a reaction, and not just from the medical staff, in terms of well, consumers buy blue jeans and t-shirt, not health care. But if you think of consumerism. One of my favorite definitions of that term is the protection or promotion of the interests of customers and consumers. And so if you think of it, of that definition when it comes to health care, that's exactly what we should be doing, is protecting and promoting the interests of our customers, of our patients. But I think too much of health care is driven not by customer need, but by what the hospital or health system needs or want. And that that in today's day and age is getting to be more and more problematic. So I think, you know, I, I go through in, in the presentation with Sh- at Shishmed a whole process called strategic assumption surfacing and testing as a, as a process you can go through to identify and challenge underlying assumptions that guide your organizational strategy. Um, I think you and I talked about how, just briefly before we started here, you know, when you say consumerism in healthcare, the initial reaction is have the marketing department make our website better, do a better billboard, let's show ER waiting times, 
it's all largely very superficial, inside-out communication, inside-out messaging that's really around, don't bother us, I'm just going to put a pretty picture in front of you uh, to distract you because we, we know more. And that, that frankly, is, um, is a little unrealistic in today's world. Tell us a little bit about the hospital that you're working with now, the system, in terms of the kinds of the specialty hospital, the kinds of families that you're encountering on a day-to-day basis there. Yeah, so... And how, um, and how this would apply, perhaps. I've worked in a number of different environments. I was at a large academic medical center, and I, uh, I'm now in a small pediatric specialty hospital. So Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare, we've been around for 121 years. We were the nation's first hospital specifically for children with disabilities. We serve a very narrow and special segment of kids and their families uh, who have complex, rare, and traumatic conditions. So complex conditions like uh, cerebral palsy or spina bifida, intractable epilepsy, rare conditions, rare genetic disorders, rare neurological and musculoskeletal conditions, and traumatic injuries. I get that we have providers here who have an immense amount of and very deep expertise and knowledge from a clinical standpoint. I'm not saying when I talk about consumerism that patients should be telling us, you know, what kind of surgery to do necessarily. What I am talking about when it comes to consumerism is How do evolving patient needs and expectations, how should that influence how we choose to deliver care? How, where, when, and how do we engage with our families to make sure that we're delivering care in a way that is effective, accessible, and meaningful for them? I'm sure your hospital has a share of really sort of tragic, sad story kids coming in, and hopefully you're helping them get better to the extent that's possible. You've been around in healthcare for a while now. Are you finding that the expectations of the parents, as because you know we talk a lot about millennials and what their expectations are in healthcare versus people that are older, what have you found along those lines? And have you, have you noticed a distinction of what they expect? First, I'm going to break one of your underlying assumptions. You know, these, these kids are amazingly positive. Fantastic. They, they, they blow my mind on a daily basis at how optimistic and positive they are. These kids have really taught me not to think about disability, but to think about ability, first of all, I would say that. And second of all, related to your question of, around, you know, the expectations of families, I don't think our families have unrealistic or unreasonable expectations of us. Are families' expectations evolving? Yes, because everything around us is evolving. And we can't continue to deliver health care the way we did even 10 or 15, let alone 30 or 40 years ago, simply because that's the way we've always done it. Our families' expectations are mostly around how do we communicate with them, How do we engage them in care planning? How do we engage them earlier in the process? How do we make sure that we're providing healing environments that are that are safe and comfortable and modern and and also that we're meeting their needs from a more global perspective? Don't just come in and do surgery on my kid. Let's talk about the the whole scope of my kid. Um, and how do we how do we plan for the future? All of which we should be equipped to do. We've been doing this for 121 years at Gillette. If we can't talk about proactive care planning and help families 
think about their child's future, who's going to? And so I think that these are some of the kind of expectations that I'm talking about that are affecting our overall strategy. I'm assuming at any hospital, there's going to be some people that are on the clinical side that are going to be very supportive of these ideas and others that are not as much forward thinking. <laughs> what, what would you recommend for people? Because obviously you're passionate about this. I can feel the passion in just discussing this. What are the successes and how do you recommend to gather support with an institution? Because it's hard. There's a lot of reasons why things are the way they are. What would you recommend? There are a lot of reasons and a lot of those reasons are valid. That's the point of really challenging those assumptions. I think that engaging families in meaningful ways to really understand what it is they are asking of you and to be really clear in the questions you're asking them. If you go to families and say, you know, should we buy a Da Vinci robot? They're going to look at you and go, I, I don't know, tell me. But you can go to your families and say, what do you expect in a surgical experience for your child? What are the things you need? What are the things you need for that to be a comfortable and safe environment? What kind of information do you need? What kind of information do you want the family to have? What kind of access to the physicians do you need? Those kinds of things. We sat down and we really broke it out on a very, on a lot of different planes in the assumption surfacing where we kind of said, what, are, what do you assume our families want from us? And then we took that from our physicians and our nurses and our care teams and we took that to families and said, what's your response to this? And some of it they laughed right at, they laughed out loud at, and some of it they said, yeah, that's right. And some of it they said, well, no, no, nobody believes that anymore. Here's what we want. And so that we created a dialogue between the hospital and our families around each other's expectations. And it's amazing how that broke down assumptions really, really quickly. So even some of the ones who were really reticent at first, you know, the concept of, you still have physicians out there, even though there are organizations who put um, physician ratings and um, reviews out there um, who are still resistant to it and don't think they should be rated and evaluated by families. But when they heard family, their own patients, families saying, here's why that's useful to me. Here's what it means to me to be able to look up a physician. And we had one mom who said, you know, I, I had a daughter, not a Gillette patient, who had to have surgery at another hospital. And when I went to look up that physician online and all they had was their name and phone number and office address and there wasn't even a picture, I had anxiety because of that. And why would you want to create anxiety for me? Tell me about the person who's going to be operating on my daughter. Those kind of conversations went a huge step towards breaking down some of the old assumptions we had inside the hospital and creating space for us to say, okay, we could think about the the why, where, when, and how of what we do differently. Sounds like you put together a process to actually talk to the patients and the families. Yeah. And then how did you communicate that? And how did, that, how did you roll that out, the results of your discussions? And how so, successful would you, you know, rate that? We used a lot of traditional and existing tools that every hospital has at its disposal but may or may not use and may, or may, or may not connect. So we started with the wealth of information that's contained within our patient experience surveys. We then went to patient at groups that were already active in the hospital. We have a patient advisory board. We have patient families on our quality and safety committee groups like that. We did an open call for people who wanted to provide input. We went back to our community health needs assessment and talked to people who were engaged in that process. We just made it as open as possible 
for our families to engage and provide feedback to us. And we did that so through online surveys, phone interviews, focus groups, and then full-on face-to-face meetings with provider groups. Were your, the providers surprised? You're challenging an assumption. It doesn't turn out to be exactly what they expected. I would assume they're pretty surprised. Yeah, so, some were very surprised. I think uh, I'm trying to find a delicate way to say this, and I don't know if there is one, but in general, I say there was a slight generational divide there, mm-hmm. but not always the case. Some of our younger providers were very, quote-unquote, traditional in their thinking, and some of our long-term providers were very modern in their thinking. But by and large, our millennial providers, and I'm amazed every day at how many of them we have, were really understood what their patients were saying and were saying, you know, actually, when I think about it, that's, that's exactly what I would say. That's exactly what my husband and I would say. That's exactly what my spouse and I would say, you know, whatever. The biggest issue, though, was just putting it out there and making it a point of discussion. And not just, I'm going to say not just our providers and nurses and stuff. It it was a good conversation for our board to have, too. You know, as is often the case, you tend to attract people to your board of directors who have a wealth of experience that they can bring to bear for the hospital. That brings in some biases of their own, both positive and negative, because we had some members on our board who have worked a lot in spheres where they wanted to push this the voice of our patients and others who were a little more hesitant. So it was good for the entire organization, not just the providers. Everybody benefited. Any particular wins that you're particularly proud of? I, I think the biggest wins that came out of it for us, we then took all of that information in our strategic planning, and when we developed kind of some of our strategic planning goals and priorities, really went through a design thinking kind of process with it. And then some of the things we did, we really changed, are in the process of changing our our service delivery model in some ways, particularly for those patients who don't live in the metro Twin Cities. And we get patients from all 50 U.S. states and around the globe. So not everybody can just kind of drop in because of the specialty nature of our, our program. So that really forced us to think about how we deliver care It really helped us to think about what care management means for our specialty population and for our diverse population. It really did change to the point at Shishmet how we we talk about ourselves. You know, the most fundamental change is it really helped us as an organization better define who we are, what we do, and where and how we will do it. I joked when I first got here, I've been here, it'll be four years at the end of this year. When I got here, the, the mantra here at Gillette was always, well, you know, Gillette's care model is what makes us different. I used to say, well, if you ask 10 Gillette people uh, to define our care model, you get between 12 and 15 different responses. This actually really helped us to better define in a more clear way what it is we do for our patients. And I'll tell you, that one of the most gratifying things was the day that our chief nursing officer stood in front of a group of our families and said, we want to share with you our definition of our care model, how we define our care model. And she laid it out and they broke into spontaneous applause. And one father stood up, pointed at the screen and said, that is why we come to Gillette. Yes, you have explained what makes Gillette Gillette. And so this process created those kind of conversations for us. 
you know, you've uh, obviously been able to make an impact in your organization. And our readership, incidentally, includes people from around the world, doctors of all shapes and sizes, hospital executives, marketing people. So I guess to speak maybe either combined or to each of those individual audiences. But, you know, if you want to impact change at a health organization that's feeling stuck, uh, any specific advice you think that as we close here that they should really think about? I think it's being willing, having the humility to say, we have to take a step back and be willing to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do and why do we do it the way we do it? And really be willing to lay out those core assumptions. Do we have to do things the way we're doing them? And then ask our patients what they think about that and be, be have the humility and the openness to get that feedback. One of the things uh, that I've learned a lot watching disruptors is they have the humility to say, what can we do better? That's a great way to end the, the meeting. You talked about humility. We talked offline about transparency and a number of different things, but the willingness and openness to be humble and say, what can we do better is you know, a theme that we've heard before, but it's a one to like tie this all together and say, look at it in a new way. So it's excellent.